This Post Reports podcast is sponsored by Fidelity, financial planning that moves with your life. Learn more at fidelity.com slash your goals. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSC SIPC. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi there, is the mayor in? Marissa Lang with The Washington Post. Hey, it's Dossie. I wanted to pick your brain on the truck. Hi, my name is Jenna Johnson. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, October 4th. Today, what it means to turn 30 in 2019, and why Batman's nemesis, the Joker, continues to capture our imagination. Well, can I ask, how old are you? I'm 28. I just turned 28. Oh, on why Friday. are you having this conversation? I know. You have no business being here. They gave me this assignment, dude. I had no, I had no <laughs> control over it. You should be interviewing me rather than the other way around. We could do that. Caroline Kitchener is a writer for the Post site The Lily. The reporters at The Lily had been working on this big project, trying to figure out what it means to be a woman turning 30 in America today. I really struggled with this question a lot because obviously it does not mean just one thing to be 30. That's the whole point of this project. And the way that I approached it was to crunch all of the census data and figure out who's standing in the middle of all of this. What does the median 30-year-old woman look like? And then let's go find her. So you actually looked at the median demographic data for 30-year-olds in the U.S.? Yes. And what did that look like? So the median 30-year-old woman is either married or kind of on the cusp of being married. Um, 48% of 30-year-old American women are married. The median 30-year-old woman has one kid. She has some college but not a four-year degree. The average 30-year-old woman makes $37,000 a year. She does not own a home. I racked my brain for, like, multiple weeks. How am I going to find somebody who matches, like, these eight different criteria? What I ended up doing was emailing alumni associations at community colleges because one of the criteria is that she has some college but not a four-year degree. I eventually found a couple of people, which led me to Sam Smith. Mom has a paper I wrote, I believe, in first grade. What did you want to be when you grew up in it? It was a nurse. Wow. Um. I mean, she she hits all the the buckets that we wanted to hit in the median American woman at 30. So she is engaged. She's going to be married next year. She has one kid. She just got her LPN nursing degree. She does not own her home. She makes right around $37,000. And she turned 30 in February. I, I did have one moment where I was talking to Mike and I told him, this is not where I wanted to be when I was 30. Um, and he's he was the one who was, well, you're almost done with school. You're on your way there. Yeah. Um, I was like, but I'm not there now. He's like, hey, give it a couple more months. You'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be married. And, I mean, we were engaged at the time. He's like, well, that's coming too. I mean, you're at the starting point of everywhere where you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but it did not hit me near as hard as I thought it would. I thought I would have a mental breakdown, but it was... Why did you think you'd have a mental breakdown? It's 30. I know. I know. Like, I mean, 
she has a lot of the anxieties and fears and stresses about 30 that I think are like really widespread. And that was something that through this single story, I really wanted to try to capture. Like you're a grown-up. <laughs> so was it like... Like you're a grown-up while you're in your 20s, but when you yeah. get 30, it's like you have to be a grown-up. Yes. <laughs> like there's no more. Well, I'm 20, I'm 24, so, you know, that's my excuse. No, I'm 30. There's, yeah. There's no more excuses for me. Sam, like a lot of us, had a very specific idea growing up for like a long time of what 30 was going to be. She had this image in her head. You're married for sure. Um, you've got at least two kids. You're well on your way in your career. You're making a really steady wage and not having to worry too much about money. You definitely own a house. Oh, I think it's important to point out that that is an image that is rooted in kind of a baby boomer way of looking at the world that is much less feasible for people our age now yeah. to be married and own a house and earn a certain amount of money and have all the kind of trappings of a two-and-a-half kids, white picket fence lifestyle by the time you reach 30. Yeah, but I think that's, like, why looking at this age is so interesting now because a lot of that just, like, is not attainable, right? It's just it's just not. Whether you just don't want it or you, it's not attainable for other reasons, it's a lot less common now. But I think still for women, because we have this biological clock, the kid thing is still very there. When you hit 30... You're at least vaguely aware of like, cool, so how much longer do I have to have kids if I want to do that? Um, And that's a lot of pressure. And that's a really big theme in her story. So she got pregnant when she was 19, which is not the way that she thought it would go. Um, That was a surprise. And I think that, you know, down the road, she always thought that she would have sort of the more typical family, um, the more standard family that she'd been imagining for herself at 30. And it just didn't really work out that way. She really wants to have more kids, but her fiance doesn't. And so her real tension and stress at 30 is navigating how to be okay with a 30 and a future that is very different than the one she always imagined for herself. Career-wise, where is Sam at and how does that compare with her expectations of what it means to be a 30-year-old working woman? So Sam talks about her work as a calling, you know, which is not something too many people can say. She has wanted to be a nurse since the time that she was in, I think, the first grade. And she just graduated from nursing school and got her LPN. Now, her path to being a nurse was not at all what she expected. So in some ways, she's achieved what she thought, but in other ways, she really hasn't. So she has been a nurse's aide since she was in high school. But then when she went to college, she went to get her nursing degree. She was one year away from graduating with her RN degree, which would have made her a whole ton of money. And her school shut down which is something that we hear a lot about. She was at a for-profit college and she got an email one day at her job saying, you know, we regret to inform you that your the doors of your school are closed. So then it's like, where do I go from there? I mean, she was supposed to graduate with her registered nurse degree when she was 26. It took a couple years for her to persuade herself to go back. Nobody would take her credits. And when she did go back, she couldn't 
find a similar program. So she now has her licensed practical nurse degree, which makes you nowhere near as much money as a full RN. But she still feels good about that. I mean, to graduate after all of that, after hurdle after hurdle, after first having her daughter unexpectedly, and then to have your school closed down, and then to go back again and do it, I mean, she's super proud of that. And so she graduated a couple of months after her 30th birthday and immediately blew up a huge photo of her in her graduation gown standing next to her daughter. Um, And she has that in the middle of her living room. And I think that kind of says it all about how she feels about where she is career-wise. What do you think you took away from this project, both in thinking about the new 30 from like a structural level, but also from spending all this time with Sam, this particular 30-year-old who has a pretty normal 30-year-old experience? I think what I took away is that when you're in your early 20s, mid-20s, even late 20s, like it can feel wide open. It can feel like you can do anything. It can feel like, you know, I can be in this job and then I could just totally change my job or I could go like live in Russia or I could go, you know, find an entirely new partner or whatever, like anything is possible. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I I do think that is a real sentiment that we feel. And I think some of us have this feeling that some of those doors start to close a little bit, and it's not as wide open as it once was. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the pressure comes from. And I do feel like what you described is at least what I felt like my 30-year-old experiences so far, that I felt like at the beginning of my 20s, looking out to being 30, that I couldn't even see the ends of the horizon, right? Like, I, like in some ways, I had an idea of what a 30-year-old me would look like. Um, but in some ways, I, I had no idea. And that was exciting. I could be anything. I could be living anywhere. Maybe I'll live in the U.S. Maybe I'll live abroad. Maybe I'll be doing this. Like, maybe I have these kinds of friends or not these kinds of friends. Or maybe I could be married or maybe I would be single. And that would be exciting, too. And I feel like when you turn 30 looking out to 40, that stops being the case. That yeah. you have more of an idea of this is probably closer to what my life is going to look like for the foreseeable future. The people that I spend time with. The work that I do, the place that I live, the the tone and tenor of my life is doesn't seem like a limitless horizon of of unlimited options. Oh yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. Yes. It was so um just now speaking personally, it was like very unnerving to realize that I'm probably gonna live in DC for like a long time. You know, like especially living in this transitory city where people are coming and going all the time as young people. Right. But now, like me and my husband both. Well, first we just got married. And now, like, we are both either like looking for jobs here or in jobs here that we want to last a long time. And we're rooted. And you look around and you're like, whoa, when when did that happen? How did that happen? And and your 30s start to look really different than your your 20s did. We talk about it in a way of like dwindling options or or narrowing 
pathways. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like plenty of people do things for their whole 20s and their whole 30s and then do something completely different in their 40s and have a completely different life. Exactly. And that's possible too. And on that note, I will say that, you know, I I, I don't want to talk about this like it's the end of the road for Sam Smith, you know? She... It's going to go back for her RN degree, and she's excited about that. It's not like it all stops at 30. It's just you had this picture, and it's sort of this check-in, I think, is an interesting way to think about it. Like, it's this time when life kind of forces you to pause and evaluate yourself and your life and what you've done and what you can still do and think critically about that. And it was like a real gift to be able to— have her let me into that part of her life to let me be part of that check-in, which is what I think this piece is. Caroline Kitchener is a writer for The Lily. There's one other notable thing about people who turn 30 this year. Back in 1989, the year that most of us 30-year-olds were born, the most popular girl's name in America was Jessica. 47,884 babies were named Jessica that year. That's 45 times the number of Jessicas that were born last year. And I totally remember this. I knew so many Jessicas growing up. So we decided to find 10 people who were named Jessica in 1989 today and see what their lives are like. My name is Jessica and I'm turning 30. My name is Jessica, 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 and I'm turning 30. My name is Jesse, and I'm turning 30. I'm 30. I am Amy King, and I am the editor and creative director for The Lily. My name is Nima Roshania Patel. I'm deputy editor of The Lily. I didn't like it when I got into grade school because everybody was Jessica. There's too many of us, but we're all pretty cool. So I guess it's kind of like, you're welcome, world. I honestly feel as though I've gotten a lot of jobs because of my name. I think that there's some expectation that a little white girl is going to end up popping in the room when they hear the name Jessica Grant and then they see me. We really took our time to find people all over the country that really show the diversity of this generation. So if you are turning 30, you fall really in the middle of the millennial generation. You know, the millennial generation is something we hear about constantly, but I think what's often overlooked is that millennials are growing up. I was named Jessica because my mom saw on the news a miracle story about a baby named baby Jessica. She fell in the well and was trapped down there for days until she was rescued and she was alive. There she is. There she is. There she is. There she is. And she, her eyes are open. You can see her eyes open. She's blinking. I feel like, yes, that's appropriate. You know, I do somewhat feel like I fell in a well and um, got taken out of it. So one of the people we spoke to was Jessica Leedy. She lives in South Florida. She spent her 20s battling a drug addiction, and now she's in recovery. And her life at 30 is not exactly what she thought it would be. I'm still a work in progress. Um, 
things are not completely perfect. Like, um, but at least there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, nothing can compare to actually, um, wanting to do good from the inside, you know? We also spoke with Jessica Rosario. She is a Puerto Rican woman who grew up in New York. When we spoke to her, she had recently broken up with her girlfriend of five years, and she was starting over in Albany. She is a rapper, and she talked to us a lot about how she is rededicating herself to her career in music, and she really wanted to double down on that. I definitely want my music on the billboards. I want it to be heard. So I actually had the chance to meet Jessica Rosario and... I asked her if she would do a, a rap live for us on camera. I jotted down a couple of things on my list of the do's. Travel the world, get the money and with you. You think I'm funny? We'll see you in a month or two. You be my honey, so sweet. I'll be stuck on you. Piercing in tattoos, rock star attitude. And she always rock out like Atlantis do. Hit my baby so hard like Rihanna, you. Live your life from the night, take a bow. That's a little song. And we spoke with Jesse Reed. He lives in Denver and is currently working on building his private practice counseling non-binary, trans, and questioning individuals. He says he feels like it's his calling after spending many years shying away from identifying as queer himself. I learned a lot about gender growing up as everybody does. And they're the kind of social rules that you don't understand exist until you break them. And then you really know. You can be a tomboy, which is like a you know, a, a category of acceptable gender um, that I fell into for, for sometimes, but sometimes I was just androgynous enough that people were really confused and I was breaking rules left and right all day, every day, but I, I felt really unsafe. And he says he always knew that 30 would be great for him. Showing up as myself is like really the best way to go. Just being like, this is who I am and I'm, I'm a little messy. You know, all of the people that we spoke to for this project, they all definitely have very different lives. But one thing that really stood out as a common thread was that all of them, regardless of where they are currently in life, definitely understand that there is this expectation around turning 30, um, whether or not they were at that point, whether or not they were happy or unhappy about not meeting those expectations. So I think another thing that we saw was that even if people were kind of okay with where their lives are right now, I do think people felt that there was a little bit more pressure, that they sort of had to examine, you know, what they wanted going forward. And so I think people are sort of looking looking at the bigger picture and, and thinking, am I running out of time? Am, am I living up to the expectations that I'm setting for myself? Amy King, Nima Roshania Patel, and Caroline Kitchener all worked on The Lily's new project about turning 30. Check it out at thelily.news slash thejessicas.
And now, one more thing. Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Joker is out in theaters this weekend. It's a new DC Comics movie that tells a backstory of the famous villain from Batman, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix. He's actually the latest in a long line of A-list actors who've taken on the role of the Joker, including Jared Leto, Heath Ledger, and Jack Nicholson. But for the post-comic book culture reporter, none of those actors truly got what it means to embody the Joker. To me, it always comes back to the voice. When I think of how should the Joker sound, I just gravitate to Mark Hamill. It's an homage to me. I'm kind of sorry I had to blow it up. My name is David Betancourt. I'm the comic book culture reporter here at The Washington Post. What is the strongest kind of love letter to the mythos of Batman? And in my opinion, it's Batman the Animated Series. Batman the Animated Series took place in the early 90s, shortly after the Tim Burton Batman films kind of made their mark. Um, But we were nowhere near this current era of superheroes being in every form of entertainment. So it really kind of filled a void for fans because that was the only way you could see superheroes in entertainment is to watch this cartoon. Batman the Animated Series also happens to have the greatest Batman voice ever. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. And Kevin Conroy, his Batman voice is just unmatched the only voice that can go up against Kevin Conroy and steal the thunder from him (laughs) is Mark Hamill's Joker. Great Scott. Actually, I'm Irish. So many people, especially my age, who grew up, you know, in their tweens watching Batman, the animated series, didn't know that that was the same guy that was Luke Skywalker. That's how lost he gets and the sauce of his craziness of being the Joker. Because if you can be seen, it's like, well, how's my hair? Is my collar straight? All that stuff. In voiceover, it's like telling stories to your kids in the dark. It's all in their imagination. And I saw the drawing. It was just one black and white drawing. And he had, it was like teeth, old teeth. You could really just kind of dive into the emotion of the character and give it a range. Hamill's Joker did a really good job of you know, exuding craziness, but also being sly as a fox. You know, he wasn't as dumb as you wanted him to be. And it was enjoyable to watch. I had done Amadeus for nearly a year and a half. You can't change the lines, but you can fool around with the laugh. Although you get notes from the stage managers. It's getting a little Jerry Lewis, dial it back. Because I would try and uh, this day I'm going to do Oliver Hardy's laugh or I'm going to do whoever, you know, just play around with it. But I had an arsenal of laughs. And the only reason I say that, I, in retrospect, I said, why did you pick me? And they said, when we heard your laugh, we thought, that's it. <laughs> A couple of scenes always come to mind when I think of Mark Hamill's Joker. One is a Christmas episode where the scene starts at a Gotham City prison. And he starts singing the Jingle Bells Batman song, you know. Batman smells, Robin laid an egg, the Batmobile lost his wheel, 
wheel and the Joker got away. When he gets to the part, he's climbed on top of a Christmas tree and it turns into a rocket. And he shoots out of the prison. And escapes. And it just, very Joker. I mean, turning a Christmas tree into a rocking ship and climbing on top of it and escaping from jail while singing Jingle Bells. That's a Joker thing. Uh, There are no other villains that are going to, you know, you wouldn't see Bane doing that. You wouldn't see Two-Face doing that per se or Thanos or any other Marvel villain. It's, It's very, it's a scene very unique to the wildness of the character. And, you know, there's always a joke going on somewhere. And he's usually in on the punchline and you're not. David Betancourt is the Post's comic book culture writer. That interview with Mark Hamill came from his 2018 conversation with Jonathan Capehart on the Post's Cape Up podcast. What's on your list of financial goals? Buying a new house? Strengthening your retirement plan? All of the above? Whatever you're saving for, Fidelity personalized planning and advice can help you reach those goals with digital planning plus one-on-one personal coaching, all with low transparent pricing. To learn more, visit fidelity.com slash your goals or call 1-800-343-3548. Advisory services offered for a fee by Fidelity Personal and Workplace Advisors, LLC. And brokerage services provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Matt Collette. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Mohammed, Maggie Penman, Rennie Svernovsky, Jordan Marie Smith, and Ted Muldoon, who also wrote our theme music. The post director of audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post. What's on your list of financial goals? Buying a new house? Strengthening your retirement plan? All of the above? Whatever you're saving for, Fidelity personalized planning and advice can help you reach those goals with digital planning plus one-on-one personal coaching, all with low transparent pricing. To learn more, visit fidelity.com slash your goals or call 1-800-343-3548. Advisory services offered for a fee by Fidelity Personal and Workplace Advisors, LLC, and brokerage services provided by Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC.